Good morning, Mendocino County. We begin the Mind Body Health Show. Hello, Dr. Marvin Trotter, our intrepid host. Cobb, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm peachy. It's a good day. Had some day, three days off. That was mm-hmm. good. Went to it's a horse peach camp. peach season right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good time to good, feel yeah. peachy, everybody. Peachy. I yeah, hope I your peaches are yes, right, even yes, in a I'm drought. Nice. Um, sometimes they can turn out pretty well. Fruits are better for you than meat. You're going to hear that. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a great show today that may save your life. So if you want to take a good chance on being healthier and not dying of cancer, you'll want to listen to this show on colon cancer from Dr. Claire Denley. Uh, hello, Claire. How are you? Hello, Dr. Chatter. I'm good. How are you? Very good, Dr. Denley. Um, so the first question is always, how did you get to Mendocino County? Yes. Well, I got here because I matched to the residency program here and I am in my intern year in family medicine at Adventist Health Ukiah Valley. So you were telling me that you grew up in Vancouver. I did. I did. I'm very jealous of that growing up from Houston (laughs) in Houston. Um, And you went to medical school in? In Cork, Ireland. Yes, I've kind of been all over the place. And uh, your dad used to live in San Francisco. He did. He grew up in Oakland and San Francisco, and he moved to Canada when he was 37 and somehow still doesn't have a Canadian passport. (laughs) Really? (laughs) He's held on to his American passport, uh, which I was thankful for because I got to get mine through that. You have both. I do. Very good. I do. So family practice, why not dermatology? Well, I like dermatology, but I also like obstetrics and gynecology. I love emergency medicine. I love pediatrics. I love sports medicine. So kind of family medicine was a no-brainer for me. You get to do all of that stuff, and especially if you work rurally. Especially the variety. Yes. And especially rurally. Yeah. Um, So it is interesting. You grew up in Vancouver, and you're in a small rural area for residency. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a big change, but... um, I really love the familiarity of being able to see your neighbor in the grocery store and saying hi to people on the street. And I've already seen so much of that in my residency with all the faculty um, having people over to their houses. And we were great picking at um, our GME director's house, which was so much fun the other night. So it's been really, really a great experience so far. So the most fascinating things that she said coming over here from Ukiah... (laughs) was her mom's cat. Yes. Yeah, so I had already decided that I wanted to come to Ukiah and um, ended up matching here. And then my mom, who actually passed away from colon cancer, which is why I would like to talk about it today, um, but she... So I told my uncle, her brother, that I had matched here. And I wasn't even going to mention the name of of Ukiah because not a lot of people in Canada have heard of it. Um, But I ended up mentioning it anyways. And he sent back a message being like, oh my gosh, Claire, I'm, I'm so like crying on the ferry because your mom did a road trip through California when she was in her 20s. And she loved Ukiah so much that she named her first cat after it. Um, And I had no idea. (laughs) Her mom. I can believe it. Sure. Yeah. Calling a cat Ukiah. Okay. <laughs> good name okay. for a cat. Okay, good name for a cat. <laughs> yeah. So, that's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we're going to talk about colon cancer. Mm-hmm. So, tell us your intro 
starting remarks colon cancer everybody's well, afraid of it but yeah so it's a very prevalent cancer it's every everyone is afraid of it everyone's afraid to talk about it i think the symptoms can be really scary um but it's one that's really preventable and we have such good screening um processes in place that can help detect the cancer early and and as long as we do that there's no reason why it can't be cured so it's a good one to talk i about. think the thing that surprises people is that you can have colon cancer and not have any symptoms. Mm -hmm. You know, most people, until they're in big trouble, mm -hmm. don't have any problems. Is exactly. that true? Exactly, yeah. Um, so kind of by the time you do have symptoms, um, which we'll talk a little bit about later, it's already could be at stage two or three or even four and um, survival rates if you can't catch it later are worse um, but the survival rates if you catch it say in stage one or the five-year survival rate is 90 percent so you want to start with pathophysiology or what sure oh, sorry. well this is Cobb I'm engineering <laughs> the studio here I'm wondering yeah when we talk patho physiology if you could just go into a little bit of detail about just cancer in general and what mm -hmm. that is and then compare what colon cancer is to other cancers yeah because a lot of us don't know anything about cancer fortunately and we don't even know you know what are the stages when you talk stage one mm -hmm. through four all of that mm -hmm. so kind of i can just do a general overview um but really cancers can start off as just an overgrowth of cells and those cells can grow in response to any inflammation or the, of the body or any changes or DNA mutations um, and some of them can be benign so you can have overgrowth of cells that are benign tumors and then there's the ones that are malignant or cancerous tumors. The difference between those two is that cancerous tumors will spread whereas benign tumors will just stay localized. Um, so the in the colon, um, cancers can start off in the lining of the, of the bowel. Um, and they can just start as a tiny little, what we call a polyp. And those are the things that we can detect on our screening processes so colonoscopies can look for little polyps which when they're polyps like that they may or may not be cancerous um, but they can progress to be cancerous and so in a colonoscopy we go in and we take those polyps out um, in terms of staging stage one of a cancer is always when it's localized to the structure and it hasn't invaded past what we call the basement membrane of of a wall of cells um, stage two would be if it's invaded and it's invaded that membrane but it's still local stage three is typically when we see the involvement of lymph nodes um, and surrounding structures and then stage four would be if it's metastasized so that's kind of a general overview within the stages there's i think like a to b in, in each stage um, and i think that's kind of tailored to each specific cancer but that's a general overview of kind of the stages of, of cancers so tell them what a colonoscopy is and mm -hmm. what do you see on a colonoscopy if it's stage one or two or, or if it's benign versus malignant a, yeah. so you're doing a colonoscopy on somebody okay so first i guess we will start with 
the <laughs> Dr. Charter, do you want to talk a little bit about your experience with bowel prep versus what it is today? I'll tell you that personally, 10 years ago, it was the worst night of my life, uh, was the bowel prep for my first colonoscopy. <laughs> um, and they used this substance called Go Lightly, which I thought was somewhat, you know, bad term. <laughs> but the second one I did just a couple of years ago or, um, was mostly Gatorade and these other preps and the prep was quite benign and i think a lot of people maybe have heard about the bad preps for colonoscopy you know that's why they've avoided them but this last time it was a breeze and wasn't a problem at all um i did have to hold richie fetzer's hand with me and came to the colonoscopy on the same day with him because he was afraid of it all and he's a tough guy and that's one of the things we want to tell you is that it's not such a tough thing anymore yeah and so you guys have it firsthand from dr trotter um that it is not as bad as they say it is and i think the technology has gotten better and a little bit less aggressive um so you would do what's called the bowel prep where you drink essentially as dr trotter said gatorade the night before and that just helps you clear everything out of the colon in preparation for the camera to go in um and, and to be clear with our audience and to be upfront and gross, we're mm. talking about the last tube in the digestive tract, all our food on its way out into the toilet. Yes. Kind of thing. Can be a bit of a struggle on the radio, but we're talking feces right. and poop and yeah. the colon and all that. But at the end, it's just Gatorade mm-hmm. coming out. Yeah. And, it's, and so now you have this nice, clean colon. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. just there's nothing in your large intestine, and that's mm-hmm. when you can can see everything so well, right? And from experience of being witnessing colonoscopies and and having done a lot of experience with that in med school, uh, good prep is very important for being able to visualize those polyps. Um, so although it might seem as an inconvenience, it's actually way better for your overall health and screening if you do the prep um, effectively if that makes sense yep yeah mm-hmm. and then so then we'll go into the actual test so um for the test you're sedated with some anesthesia um usually it just makes you a little bit sleepy um you're not fully put under most of the time um and they use a flexible camera that's about the size of your finger and they insert it into the anus and they just take an overall picture or uh, video of they start at your rectum and they would go all the way up and follow the entire length of the colon and they do this forwards and then when they pull it out they do it backwards and they flip the camera around so that they get a view of all aspects of the colon and then any polyps that we would see they can go in and they have a tool that they use to biopsy or remove the polyp and then they can send those polyps for uh, pathology testing so if there was a polyp that they removed that was cancerous or precancerous then they could tailor your future screening based on what they find there and the polyps that are associated with worse prognosis or more progression to cancer would be the polyps that are actually flatter Um, The polyps that we call sessile Mm. are less associated with progression to cancers. Mm -hmm. I want you to know that Dr. Hanna um, 
asked if I wanted to watch this on the TV while he did my colonoscopy. Mm-hmm. I declined that. You declined. I declined that opportunity, and I don't remember a thing. Uh, <laughs> they gave me enough Ativan and other drugs that really, I don't, you know, mm-hmm. no, I don't want to see the TV, and the next thing I know, you know, I was waking up in the post-op mm-hmm. room. So that's another point I want to make to people, that Gatorade, and you don't have to remember anything. It's a very painless, no, no problema sort of thing Gatorade and a nice nap <laughs> and it's a it's a fairly regular screening process is it primarily like a, a sex-based gender-based concern well, we can go into some of the risk factors if that would be helpful yeah yeah sure. okay um so an average person has an overall risk of developing colon cancer of five percent so 5% of people will go on to develop it. At an Which is risk. a lot higher mm-hmm. than most people would realize. Yeah. 5% is a big deal. Yeah. So it's the third most common cancer diagnosed in both men and women each year in the U.S., excluding smaller skin cancers. But it's, men and women are at equal risk. Uh, men are at slightly higher risk than okay. women. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's one of the most preventable cancers with the screening process and a few other lifestyle modifications, which we can also talk about. Um, the other bigger risk factor is age. So the majority of cases occur in people over the age of 50, with the average age of diagnosis being 68 for men and 72 for women. And oh, sorry, go but, ahead. But, but. They're now doing it at 50 because there seems to be more and more younger people. Correct? Yes. So the incidence of colon cancer in age groups 30 to 39 has been increasing, even though the incidence um, has been decreasing in ages above 50, and that's due to screening. But used to be they started screening at 60, and now they're doing mm-hmm. it at 50, mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. And there's even some organizations which recommend starting at the age of 45. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So I think that'll be implemented in the next couple of years. So I want you to listen to the risk factors, Cobb. <laughs> right, right. And screening means getting a colonoscopy. Screening correct? can mean a, a few different things, which we will we'll also get to talk. Okay, we'll get to that. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Um, so another risk factor is race. African Americans have the highest rates of sporadic colorectal cancer in the U.S., and sporadic just means that it's not due to a passed down genetic factor. Um, it is actually the leading cause of cancer-related death in African-American populations in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, family history is another thing that increases your risk. So first-degree relatives, especially if your family member was diagnosed before the age of 60, so that's me, um, your risk is nearly doubled. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Then there's uh, other rare inherited conditions, such as Lynch syndrome, or hereditary non-polyposis colorectal cancer, familial adenomatous polyposis, um, just to name a few. I won't go in. There's about Mm -hmm. seven or eight. Um, And then if you have inflammatory bowel disease, such as Crohn's Mm -hmm. or ulcerative colitis, that puts you at an increased risk, and that's hugely due to the chronic inflammatory state. Mm -hmm. If you have a history of polyps, you're more likely to have future polyps, um, and then if you have a personal history of cancer, such as ovarian or uterine, that's been associated with higher risk. Mm. And then 
in terms of lifestyle factors, physical inactivity or obesity can have a huge increased risk for development of colon cancer. Um, food and diet, which we can talk a little bit more about in our prevention, but red and processed meats are kind of the, the enemy for colorectal cancer. Uh, smoking has also been linked to uh, more death from a colon cancer diagnosis as well. So, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, if you just tuned in, it's KZYX Radio that you're tuning into right now. Uh, this is the Mind Body Health Show with your host, Dr. Marvin Trotter. Our guest today is Dr. Claire Denley, a resident at the residency program uh, at Adventist Health Ukiah. And we are talking particularly about uh, colon cancer today. And I think the thing that um, really shocked me, other than the cat named Ukiah, was your discussion about bacon. <laughs> yes. Um, so I did a research project on colon cancer and diet when I was in my first degree. Um, and I found out that bacon, I think it was in 2016, was actually classed a, or termed a class one carcinogen behind smoking, um, which is really upsetting because everyone loves bacon. But it is a red meat and it is a processed meat and we cook it by frying it or um, grilling it, which also further adds to the carcinogen risk. So if we can avoid bacon, um, that's already a big step in helping prevent our colon cancer and what I try and do because I love bacon is I try and limit it to once or twice a week. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> bacon is one of my favorite foods and it bothers me. But um, I've had two negative colonoscopies. Great. Um, but what you said about exercise surprised me. Yeah, so exercise, um, people who exercise regularly have a 40 to 50% lower risk of colon cancer. Um, which is pretty, pretty huge, and it's one of the only cancers that has shown that drastic of a link between exercise and, and cancer. The other one is breast cancer, but even still, exercise can reduce your risk by 30 to 40 percent. So it's the cancer where exercise has the highest impact, which is pretty, pretty. Which incredible. is great, mm-hmm. you know, that you can actually prevent some of this. Yeah. Yeah. Lower your risk. Yeah. So, exercise is clearly linked with lower risk significantly for colon cancer and breast cancer. Mm-hmm. That's great. Mm-hmm. And then the other big thing that you can do to decrease um, your risk of colon and rectal cancer is um, a higher intake of fiber. Because fiber right. helps things in the gut move along, mm-hmm. and it also helps the microbacteria in your gut um, be healthy, and those things are associated with with decreased inflammation, and that's a, a very important thing to include in your diet. When we talk fiber, that's mm-hmm. like eating carrots and vegetables? Yes, yeah, so anything that I guess you can think of it as harder to chew. Mm-hmm. Um, some examples of fiber would be like whole grains and seeds, mm-hmm. um, barley, oats, spelt, mm-hmm. psyllium, 
rye or like whole grain pastas or breads are mm-hmm. really good. And then legumes, beans, and um, lentils are oh, also really good cool. sources of fiber. Yeah. So fiber, no meat, exercise. That's, mm-hmm. that's a good recipe for success. Definitely yes. meat that's not as processed. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Processed red meats are kind of a double a double right. uh, negative there. Right. Yeah. And that's where bacon comes in on Bacon's got all of it. Bacon has meat, all of the bad things. It's smoked. Yeah. So it's processed. Yeah. Got lots of sodium in it. Mm-hmm. Then it gets fried. Yeah. And especially if you fry it until it's crispy. Mm-hmm. It's just like, why does it taste so good? <laughs> That's such a great question. Um, just for the audience, the number one place to get esophageal cancer is Japan. And they really like the grilled, smoked... Yeah, the smoked... Um, they do a lot of smoked meats. And that those carcinogens in the smoked meats and the processed meats are really bad. And Africa uh, does not have colon cancer. And the activity level, no meats... You know, probably have a lot to do yeah. with that. Mm-hmm. Which is also interesting because it's so prevalent in African Americans in the U.S. So that just might suggest how big of an influence diet and exercise can have. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then alcohol is not good for many things, but it's also not good for colon cancer. So, right. yes. Alcohol and smoking. All okay, let's go on to are... some better news. Okay. So then we can talk about, so we've talked about kind of lifestyle things that we can change, and then screening is the other way that we can help prevent the development of colon cancer. So this is a subject that I'm even confused about, Mm because in the past you had to have a colonoscopy, but now there's alternatives. Now there are many alternatives. Um, All of the goals of the screening are to lower the number of people who die from disease or eliminate deaths altogether, and to lower the number of people who develop the disease. So the goal is to catch the polyps before they turn into cancer. Um, So there are many different associations or organizations that have have come up with general recommendations for screening. Um, All of them seem to agree that people should be screened from the ages of 50 to 75, um, with some newer evidence suggesting that 45 or sh- people should be screened starting at the age of 45 due to the increased number of younger people that are starting to develop colon cancer. Um, and then there are a multitude of tests which we can go into. So I kind of have want to break it down into imaging stool samples. Um, mm-hmm. So in terms of imaging... Our kind of gold standard is the colonoscopy. So that's the one we talked about, which is our standard test with the camera and the the bowel prep. Um, That should be done every 10 years if that's how we want to do our screening. Then we have the computed tomography colonography, which is our CT scan or a CAT scan. So that's kind of like a virtual colonoscopy that is used in some centers. Um, it does require a skilled ra- radiologist to read the images, images, but it may be an alternative for people who can't tolerate anesthesia or who have a complete blockage of the colon that would prevent a camera from going through. Um, we also have our sigmoidoscopy, which 
is limit is like a colonoscopy, but it visualizes the rectum and kind of the, only the latter end of the colon. Um, but if polyps are found, then we would need to do a full colonoscopy to see if there's polyps anywhere else. And then there is what's called a double contrast barium, barium enema, or a DCBE. This is also for patients who can't have a colonoscopy. Um, and if you've heard of enema before, it's where kind of something gets inserted into the rectum. So in this case, it would be a dye that can help to visualize the rectum and colon on x-rays. So you would, a series of x-rays would be taken um, to see if they could identify polyps that way. How, this, however, is less likely to detect precancerous polyps as it's a little bit more limited in what we can see. And then we move on to our stool sample test. So there are two categories. So there's our uh, fecal occult blood test or fecal immunochemical test, which tests for the presence of blood in the stool. And then there is our stool DNA test or Collegard test. So the FOBT or the FIT tests are used like I said, to identify blood in the feces. Um, with the FOBT test, this is a chemical reaction that reacts to any blood in the stool. Um, so it's an easy test to do. However, there are a lot of things that can cause a positive test. So if we think of um, an upper GI bleed, such as an ulcer or um, a hemorrhoid or rare meats that you would have eaten um, or other drugs like NSAIDs can cause minor bleeding. So the prep for this type of test is you need to avoid a few dietary and um, medications for three to seven days before you would take this test. And because polyps are not continuously bleeding, you need to actually send in three stool samples from different days. And so this test not only do you have to send in multiple stool samples, but you also have to test more frequently. So these are the tests that you're testing every year. Mm. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So screening is a really effective way to prevent colon cancer or to catch it early, mm -hmm. in which case it's fairly successful at treating. Yeah. Got mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. But it's it's. Uh, I hope the listeners understand that you know, these tests you can send in and don't have to have a colonoscopy. They're great. There's, that's a new thing. You know, used to everybody had to have a colonoscopy, but now there's an alternative and it's very easy. Um, the The bottom line is, though, you want to call, catch colon cancer early mm -hmm. because it's 90% treatable. Mm -hmm. You're going to do great. You're not going to die versus a terrible situation. I don't you, even even successfully treating it. You've gone through a whole lot worse than having a colonoscopy done. Exactly. So before we go into the treatment and what that is a little bit, I wonder if we could touch on you know for people that haven't been screened and maybe they are at risk or they're you know what are the signs and symptoms like noticing blood in the stool or pain or. Well, I'm so glad you asked that because that was my next thing that I wanted to talk Great. about. <laughs> um, so, yeah, things that you should look out for when to see a doctor. Um, any change in your bowel habits, whether that's <clears throat> an increase in constipation, more diarrhea that is persistent, um, that you couldn't link to 
like a, a, a bug that you ate or something, or a viral illness, you'd want to go in and see your doctor. Um, if you ever notice bright red or bright red blood or very dark stools, which can indicate obviously the bright red blood, but dark stools can indicate blood that's been there for a while. Um, or stools that look narrower or thinner than you're used to seeing. Um, and the reason for that is because if you had, say, a, a tumor that was obstructing part of your bowel, it can cause the stool to look like a different shape as it passes. Um, and then if you're having any discomfort in your abdomen, including frequent pain, bloating, or fullness, or cramps that, again, is persistent, um, unexplained weight loss is a big one. Uh, constant tiredness or fatigue, which has to do with the next one, which is unexplained iron deficiency anemia. So that's something that your GP or your primary care provider would look for on your annual blood results. Um, and if there's a low hemoglobin level, that can indicate that you've been bleeding probably somewhere from the bowel if it's unexplained, and then that would warrant further in investigation. But But all of these things are bad news you know and that's why i hope that people walk away from this knowing you need to be screened because when you're talking about iron deficiency anemia or small stools or a lot of blood or weight loss you're talking about a significant disease load mm -hmm. and i think that's one of the things that um was so hard for me was i think there's a lot of older adults or even young adults that would be embarrassed to go to seek treatment if they're having blood in their stools or um, persistent diarrhea. And that's something that happened to my, my mom. She presented, she had been having six months of symptoms, and by the time she presented, it was already stage four. So if we can get people in there early when they first notice these things, then that's going to be really important for overall survival and to, to catch this early. So we're going to talk about treatment, and then we'll take phone calls. How's that? Okay, and a heads up, if you're out there listening, again, it's KZYX that you're tuned to. Uh, we are talking with uh, Dr. Claire Denley, a resident at U Adventist Health, Ukiah Valley, is our guest. We're talking about colon cancer. So if you have a question uh, for our guest uh, about colon cancer, you can call into the studio. It's going to be 707-895-2448. We'll get you live in the studio, and we'll be opening up the phone lines uh, in a, just a little bit. Yeah, so I didn't want to go too much into the treatment, um, but just kind of a general overview. Um, depending on what stage you would detect the cancer, at, there's always an option for, sorry, not always an option, there's an option for surgery depending on, on the stage. If it's stage four, surgery would, would not be your best option. Um, and then there's radiation um, and chemotherapy depending, again, on, on the stage. Um, so those are kind of our three treatment options. Um, and sometimes you would have chemo before surgery to shrink this, the tumor before you remove it, and then possibly chemo after the surgery. Um, some people need a stoma, if the depending on where the tumor is, um, and that's just when maybe some of you have seen people with a little, uh, it's called a, a colonostomy bag on their side, which just is kind of 
um, until that area heals or if there's part of the colon that has to be removed and um, indefinitely, then the stool can exit the body f through a little hole that they make with a little pouch. And most people have the colonoscopy bag temporarily. Mm -hmm. They have a colonoscopy, they take out part of your colon, wait six weeks, and they put you back together. Yes, exactly. So I understand that uh, colon cancer can be very preventable. Um, it can be treatable very successfully when treated early. That's the screening. But as far as being treated overall with other cancers and the various methods, is it like an easier to treat when it is in the late stages, or is that the I, same like for all cancers where it's yeah i think it's kind of similar to all cancers the later stage it gets the less and less likely mm -hmm. we are able to treat it um as i was kind of mentioning before the five-year survival rate of stage one for colon cancer is 90 percent, which right. i think if you compare that to some other cancers is actually quite high mm -hmm. um if it's stage four the five-year survival rate drops to about 14 percent so that's significant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Catching it early, exactly. earlier the better. Yeah. Earlier the better. Yeah. So I think our take-home messages, or do we want to wait for questions? Uh, no, go ahead. Again, that number, if you want to call in with a question, is 707-895-2448. Uh, go ahead and call in. Um. So, yeah, things that I would like you guys to remember is that Colon cancer is very preventable and treatable with screening. Um, avoid red and processed meats, especially bacon, unfortunately, and exercise can have a huge impact. And we have a caller. Welcome to Mind Body Health. Go ahead with your question. Hi there. I'm wondering when should a man start to get screened? I just turned 46 and I've heard that that starts to be the time when you need to get a colonoscopy, but no one's ever brought it up with me. Yeah, so that's a great... I'll take my... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I'll take my answer off the air. All thanks. Right, thanks. Okay. Um, that's a really great question, and I'm so glad that you called in. Um, generally, every, every kind of organization is very in agreement that people should be screened from 50 to 75. There's a few that are now suggesting that you can start at age 45. Um, but I would recommend talking about it with your primary care provider and making a plan. They can go over some of the risk factors that might indicate that you should have a colonoscopy earlier. But I think 46 is a perfect age to start talking about it and start making a plan for getting screening and then with your doctor you could decide do you want to do the colonoscopy every 10 years would you rather do one of the fit or the fobt tests every year um, and they can kind of discuss the the benefits and risks of both treatments okay thanks and we have another caller welcome to mind body health go ahead with your question uh, yes, I was wondering if she is a uh, gastroenterologist. No, I'm not. I'm I'm a family medicine physician. I'm I'm an intern, so I'll be a primary care provider, um, but we'll be able to refer to our amazing gastroenterologist for the colonoscopies. 
and further testing. So you can actually have Dr. Denley as your physician. She's going to be in town the next three years. Yes. And I forget the phone number. I always try to remember Ooh, what the residency question. phone number is. <laughs> but we'll get it for you while we're on the air. But she just started her internship. She finished medical school in Ireland and is now doing three years in Ukiah to become a family practice board-certified physician. And can you take, right now, we have another caller ready to go, but before we get there, can you take a couple minutes, Marvin, and just go over the residency program and how great it is for the area okay. one more time? Okay. Um, so uh, my hopes is this residency program saves Mendocino County and, and the surrounding area because the primary care physicians are harder and harder to find, um, especially in rural areas. Uh, lot, there's a lot less family practice internal medicine docs than there used to be. About half of the people that do a residency program stay in the area that they did the residency program. So we have six fine physicians, such as Dr. Denley, that start July 1st every year. We have an 18 total pro in the program every three years. And um, they get three years of training in the office and in the hospital and the different clinics. Um, and that's how you become board certified in family practice. Right. And the last bit of the soapbox is as long as money controls our medicine system, primary care is not the big one to go into for people. Most people don't go in. You know, you can make a lot more money being a specialist, but in my point of view, the primary care physicians are the most important cog in the medical wheel. It's been shown over and over again, people live longer and do better if they have a primary care physician. Right. Okay. Uh, thanks for holding. You're live on Mind Body Health. Go ahead with your question. Um, I was the one that just called, and we, I lost your call. Uh, yeah, we do need more primary care. Uh, they're all retiring, unfortunately. I had asked about the gastroenterologist. Um, uh, maybe I could take my uh, call off the line, 972 I'm desperately trying to find one to do an upper gastrointestinal endoscopy, which is a uh, right. camera. Uh, for a uh, complication from a spine surgery, my throat, uh, I've lost 25 pounds, and we can't okay. seem to find anybody to okay. deal with this. So I, I'll if they want to get your call and maybe help me out with that. So. Okay, thanks. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Sorry, can you repeat your number one more time? 972-5443. Okay, we'll give you a call. Thank you. So if you're out there listening and you want to call in with a question especially related uh, either to the residency program or uh, with our guest today, Dr. Claire Denley, we're talking about colon cancer, uh, please call in 707-895-2448. So a lot of people have had an... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, you're live on Mind Buddy Health. Go ahead with your question. Hi. Um, I'm uh, getting near the 75 cutoff, uh, although I don't quite understand that. But uh, I had a colonoscopy when I was in my 50s. Uh, the doctor remarked that it was remarkably healthy looking. And I've been a vegetarian most of my life. I eat a um, pretty high fiber diet, uh, green vegetables and fruits and so forth. And uh, since that time, I just haven't worried about it or given much thought about going back. I'm wondering what advice you'd give to somebody like me. I'll pick it up here. Thanks for the question. 
Um, so yeah, that's a, a really good question. I commend you for eating so many uh, fruits and vegetables. I think you're already uh, well on your way to having great colon health. Um, I think if you had a colonoscopy back in your 50s, the recommendation would be that you would, should have had another one in your 60s. And I don't think 76 or 75 is too late to have a second one. There is some um, evidence showing that people age 76 should continue to have them but again it's more of a looser recommendation and one that you should talk to your primary care provider about to see what's best for you but I think that I would recommend having another one at least um, in the in the near future just to kind of make sure that you've had at least two before before you're out of that screening zone if that makes sense okay well oh, lost that one so I want to make one point. Four six seven five two five two four six seven five two five two is how you can get hold of Dr. Dinley uh, and the other residents. Um, I think everybody should have a primary care doctor because if you look at what's going on in the world, you know, diabetes, hypertension, cancer screening. There's a lot of things that you know, are preventable, and once you have, you know a lot of these problems are much harder to treat. Welcome to Mind Body Health. Uh, you're live on the radio. Please go ahead with your question. Yeah. Uh, regarding the age range, I mean, you, you said repeatedly 45 to 75, and then the last call looked like after 75 you still get it. Uh, I've got a history, that, or family history. My father died of cancer. Uh, colon cancer at 42. I'm uh, 75, almost 76, and my last colonoscopy was at least five years ago. It might have been 10. Um, okay. Um, so in where I'm from, in Canada, we have much um, more set out rules for people that are at an increased risk. But I think that the general consensus is that because you have an increased risk um, with a first-degree relative being diagnosed before the age of 60, um, they kind of recommend more frequent screening. So at least every five years, I would recommend. Um, so again, if you have a primary care provider, if you want to come see us in the clinic, we can set up a referral for you to get um, another colonoscopy done. And I think that the 76 to 85 age range is kind of on a individual basis. So I, my feeling is that for someone who's at an increased risk, they should continue the screening. Um, but again, that I think something to talk to your primary care provider about and figure out what the best solution is for you. So I have a question. Is uh, the screening for colon cancer, getting a colonoscopy, is that fairly universally covered by insurance programs is that a fairly affordable kind of certainly if you, it's 100 percent if you have any symptoms or any blood in your stool i think the programs differ if it's just screening a lot of people are paying for the screenings though because it's a lot cheaper than treating colon cancer mm -hmm. so i picked up this sheet actually from our clinic which 
breaks down colonoscopy with two of the other tests, so the Cologuard DNA test and the FIT or FOBT test. Um, the colonoscopy they recommend every 10 years, the Cologuard every three years, and the FIT or FOB test every year. And it says that all three of those are covered by most insurers. Okay, great. Got it. Yes. Maybe they're doing better. And when they're recommending those, are they recommending all three tests for people, or is it like a No, so or? just one or the other. Yeah, Got so it. colonoscopy every 10 years, Cologuard every three years, or FIT or FOB every one year. Okay. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health. You're live on the radio. Go ahead with your question. Oh, good morning. Thank you. Uh, I, what is the risk factor uh, in the colonoscopy, generally speaking, and um, especially after a certain age, uh, say 75, 80? Thanks for the question. Uh, and maybe we can just go over all the risk factors, kind of review them. Sorry, are we talking the risk factors of colon cancer or the risks with a colonoscopy? Just uh, let's go over both. Okay, so we kind of talked about the risk factors for colon cancer, uh, mainly being age, increased age, um, race, so African Americans more prominently affected gender with males having slightly higher risk family history where one of your first degree relatives is diagnosed before the age of 60 um, inflammatory bowel disease history of polyps and then kind of the diet and exercise um, mm -hmm. implications that we talked about and then in terms of a colonoscopy itself um, there is a risk always with anesthesia um, very small risk um, but again, it's more of a sedation than a completely put under. Mm -hmm. And then there's, when you introduce anything into the body, there's a slight risk of infection. There's um, a small risk to damage of surrounding structures with the camera. But again, it, it is a camera that's going in and not, say, um, a scalpel or anything. But with the bi biopsy of the polyps, you can have a little bit of increased risk for bleeding. Um, those are those are the main risks. I would say 95% of people or more have a colonoscopy without any kind of incident mm -hmm. or problem. Right. 95%. It's very well tolerated, and you rarely see a yeah. problem with it. Would you agree? I would definitely agree. Right. I think the main kind of con of the colonoscopy was, as you said, Dr. Trotter, the, the bowel prep, um, which it sounds like has gotten much better over the years than it, than yes. it has been. Cool. Welcome. Oh, lost that call. So if you're listening to the show and you just tuned in, this is KZYX. This is the Mind Body Health Show. Um, and if you want to call in with a question for our guest, Dr. Claire Denley, we're focusing on uh, colon cancer and preventable measures like colonoscopies right now. The, the line to call is 895-2448 to get your questions answered. Welcome to Mind Body Health. You're live on the radio. Go ahead with your question. Thank you very much for your show. Uh, thank you very much, doctor, for being here. No problem. I had a colonoscopy, oh, oh many years ago. And completely paid for by my union health care. Great. Uh, yeah, that was all good. And I turned out to be perfect. Excellent. Unlike most of my friends, <laughs> I'm a complete perfect 
<laughs> you know, what? Yeah. Well, that's... My father, my father taught head and neck surgery at Stanford. Oh, wow. And he said, you know, two-thirds of these guys that he's teaching at Stanford, he taught head and neck surgery. And uh, after 30 years of practice, you know, in throat. Caller, um, do you have a question? And, well, I guess I should have another. Yes. Or, I should have another. I would recommend even if your colon looked perfect, you should still have another one within the 10 years just to make sure that everything remains perfect. And uh, per this caller, what do you think the biggest, why don't more people get colonoscopies or do the FIT test every three years? I think there is a kind of a lack of understanding of the testing, um, what it can do, and the importance of it. And that's especially like I was saying about symptoms. Um, it's kind of a cancer that flies under the radar because people don't like to talk about it as much, I think. And um, I think it's also the role of the primary care provider to bring up these conversations in their consultations and and alert people that they should be having these tests done because, as a few of the callers have said, they're not sure when they should be having the screening or what types of screening are available. So I think it is our role as primary care providers to make sure that our patients are up to date on their screening. I know everybody talks about mammography, but mm -hmm. you don't hear people. And even the CT scans for lung cancer, yeah. you know, screening, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. But at 5% of the population, you think we'd talk about this a lot more. Yeah. Well, so I've heard a rumor before, and I wonder if you could speak to this doctor, around screenings, whether it's colonoscopies or breast cancer screenings, mammography, that kind of thing, where a lot of people have always had, you know, polyps or small growths or things that were totally a normal part of aging or a normal part of the body and so these invasive screenings that are associated with identifying illness where maybe there never was going to be any or there never was one and you know kind of a sentiment like I don't need this uh, and what for either of you what's your sense of that? What would you have to say? Well, I think that there definitely are those people that would have something that never grows into into something, and there's those people that smoke all their lives and somehow never develop cancer. But the numbers show that the vast majority of of people that we can detect these things in is quite beneficial, and we've even seen, like we've seen with the numbers, a reduction of of prevalence and incidence of of colon cancer from the screening. So I think um, looking at a population, it definitely is helpful. There are always going to be those kind of medical marvels that have something and it never develops into anything, but the data kind of shows that it's it's very right. beneficial. So you're rarely going to be in a car accident, right? Right. Do you wear your seatbelt? Of course. <laughs> Do you wonder about wearing your seatbelt? Um, <laughs> not so much. Not so much. And I'm just saying, you know, you're probably not going to get colon cancer. But right. I feel a whole lot comfortable having had a negative colonoscopy last year um, because I certainly have eaten a lot of bacon in my life. Yeah. Um, well, we're coming up on the end of our hour, everybody. We do have one uh, caller patiently waiting. 
It's funny you mentioned the seat belts just to soapbox one more time because um, that's one where there's been some comparison as far as uh, whether or not to get a vaccine related to coronavirus and the rollout of seat belts for those that remember when that became a law or is being debated as being a law to prevent death in car wrecks and how difficult the messaging was to get seat belts normalized and now they're everywhere nobody thinks about it yeah okay well we have time for one more call welcome to mind body health you're live on the radio go ahead with your question are you there caller okay well I'd, I'd like yeah. just to say having, you know, I work up in the Covalo Clinic on Thursdays and Fridays, and having had 80 positive COVID tests last month, I think people need to realize when there's only 100 hospital beds in Mendocino County and 37 of them are filled with COVID patients, 95% of whom are not vaccinated, and having f- continued deaths in this, that... Um, we ought to get vaccinated, and I think the primary care, Dr. Denley, would agree with that. Yes, definitely. So I'd like to close Dr. Denley, 467-5252. She's starting her residency. She's going to be here three years if you want a good primary care doctor. Any comments for closing that you'd like? I would just like to say thank you all for listening and having me on the air, and we hope to see you in clinic. And we can get you referred for all your testing. <laughs> Great. Thanks, everyone, for being here. Yeah, we have just a few more minutes okay. to go. I wonder if, since you did uh, bring up mm-hmm. COVID, what what are the vac- how do people go about finding a vaccine right now if uh, they want one, especially up in Covalo and so forth? The Covalo Clinic's doing a great job. They're vaccinating people every Friday. They're going to the schools. They have... You can drive up in your car. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure about all the places uh, you can get it. I'm sure you can go to some pharmacies. Mm-hmm. I think uh, we give it at our clinic as well. Okay, the family mm-hmm. practice clinic gives the vaccinations. Um, you know, th- studies and studies show even um, pregnant women. Uh, I have a friend whose uh, uh, cousin is uh, 31 years old with a. Uh, um, uh, 37-week pregnancy, and she's on a ventilator. Um, this is a deadly disease. You can have infarcts in your brain, your lungs, your kidneys. Um, you you think you're healthy in 23. I have a relative that threw up for eight days, lost 20 pounds. She weighed 100 pounds after this. Uh, this isn't just about um, getting a cold. Lots of people get long-term lung and and disease a third of the people hospitalized age about 10 years mentally people can't go back to their jobs i know this is a big thing about the government can't tell me to get vaccinated okay but then why do you come to the hospital and ask to have your life saved if if you don't want you know that this isn't a big deal so either it's a big deal and you want your life saved if you get ill or it's not a big deal and you're going to die at home and say this is okay because i don't i don't want to get a vaccination and just to be clear to our listeners this is dr trotter ranting at the moment no no when you have all these people in the icu and they're dying at 38 it's a big deal right and i just wanted to be clear for anyone listening that we're talking about the current 
coronavirus pandemic, not colon cancer. (laughs) And and our host is is ER doc over at Adventist Health, Ukiah. Just setting that up. Yeah. It's a a touchy point. I understand there's a lot of arguments against the the vaccine. But when you see people dying on ventilators, you have a different perspective. Right. And I have a question. Uh, We have just a minute to go, but I've heard there's been a spike in cases associated with pretty much every large gathering going on have you had any perspective on that whether it's indoors or outdoors do you know you know it's just it's just how many people are you getting exposed to the delta variant is a thousand times more prevalent as far as shedding uh, mm-hmm. the virus it's 97 percent of the cases in the u.s now um i forget how many cases there are in the u.s now mm-hmm. it's another spike just like february mm-hmm. and uh, more children are involved right. um, talk to this about your primary care doctor i would not look up on the uh, computer as to whether or not you're going to get vaccinated okay so they have it straight from the er doc our host dr marvin trotter thanks so much for continuing to do this show uh thank you Thank to you our guest, God. Dr. Claire Denley, so for being Dr. here. Denley, four six seven five two five two. Thank you all for tuning in here. Have a good day. This has been a production of KZYX Philo ninety point seven FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah ninety one point five FM, and Fort Bragg at eighty eight point one FM. Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.